Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And what's up? It's GC Live. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark coming at you. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and on all the major podcast platforms. So thanks for joining us. Uh, go ahead and give everybody a little bit of time to get in here. But of course, GC Live, 2 p.m. here on Monday afternoon. We are, as always, brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Hit them up, 803-926-1493. That's 803-926-1493. They are home of the game day chair, which Chris will tell you a little bit more about later on. Uh, what's up, Kyle? What's up, Josh? Our first two commenters there. And uh, what's up, Gamecock Nation? I know that it has been a rough weekend for you. Hopefully everybody made it into work on Monday. Not too hungover to function. And uh, we're here with you. We uh, will go through this game. As always on Monday, win, lose, or draw, we're going to break down South Carolina versus Florida. And then at the end, probably look ahead a little bit to Vanderbilt. And um, then, of course, we'll um, take some questions. And I've got a little recruiting update as well. But, Chris, first and foremost, let's go big picture on this game. And then sort of as we go, we'll peel back at the onion, so to speak, and get deeper and deeper. I think the interesting thing right now is sort of twofold. I think for one, you kind of have a game where coming in, I didn't really get the impression that many Carolina fans gave South Carolina much of a chance of winning. So um, I think you look and Carolina fans sort of went into this game with very low expectations. But Mm -hmm. then I think – how South Carolina lost the game, the fact that you looked and I don't want I'm not going to say South Carolina should have won because I think that downplays Florida too much. Florida really good offensively. Yeah. Although if you want to talk about them as a top five team, I think Florida has some real questions defensively for if they're like a let's talk not that they're not a good team, but as far as a college football playoff team. Yep, they got some issues to correct. But this is GC Live, not Florida Gators Live. So I think let's talk about it from a South Carolina perspective. The team sort of riddled the fan base in a little bit, score first again. Um, Then, you know, it's 14-14. The sort of middle eight does not go Carolina's way. It certainly the end of the first half didn't go Carolina's way. Then Florida – Keep scoring, right? Looks like the game is pretty much over. Then Carolina scores 10 straight to get back into it and is on the move. And then, of course, that very slow-paced final drive, which I think, unfortunately for Carolina, is like the last memory 
in everybody's brain right now. So it, it's sort of interesting. I think going in, the fan base expected – they thought it would be tough to win, right? But just the way it played out, I think, made it very painstaking for this fan base. And now, plus, talk about, you know, it's 0-2. And, and it just sort of all adds up. The other part, Chris, is that – actually, you know what? I'm, I've got more. I'm going to let you talk. By the way, what's up, Levante Valentine? He's joining us again uh, on Facebook. By the way, for those who asked, Levante – running track on a scholarship at South Florida. So glad to see you on here again, Levante. Great to see you doing well, man. Um, but Chris, your thoughts on what I just said and then just your bigger, you know, sort of initial thoughts on the game. I think it's a great point, man. And I do have a larger picture, big picture thought on the season overall that I want to make that – um. You know, I don't people. I don't know if people agree with it or not, but I'll get there in a second. Little teaser. Um, you know what you said about the game. I think you're exactly right. So, coming into this game, I think there are a couple issues. Number one, South Carolina just lost a disappointing game to Tennessee, in which too many mistakes doomed them. Right. So people are already upset about that because you pile on that Tennessee game to last year's four and eight campaign. People want to start fresh, lose that first game. You come out and have some chances in this second one, scoring first, like you said, getting reeled in, making too many mistakes. The long touchdown run by Tony is something etched in people's brains. That long drive at the end where you got a chance to score, but then you feel like if you did score, you wouldn't have left yourself in a good situation. So there's that. And really, you know, I remember when we closed out the show, I think it was Friday, Wes, you know, we talked about, you know, sort of picking the game and the spread and what we thought of it. You know, I said that you couldn't pick South Carolina, or I couldn't pick, rather, I speak for myself, South Carolina to win this game. You know, the spread was, I think, 17 and a half, 18. South Carolina ended up losing by a couple touchdowns. That in and of itself isn't some huge shock. Florida's a really good team offensively, defensively. I do I do totally agree with you. I think they got some issues that will have to clean up if they're going to be a serious contender right, in the SEC and on a national stage. But they're really good offensively. We know that. Um, And we knew it was going to be a tough game. South Carolina wasn't favored to win the game. I don't think any fans should have said they are going to win this game. But that doesn't take away the frustration of losing the game. Gamecock fans feel like they should at least be 1-1, maybe 2-0. and And nobody, including us, is sitting here saying should be happy with being 0-2 or, oh, they're almost 2-0. Nobody's saying that. Um, it's just that what happened, I don't think was super surprising. You know, we, I, we figured Florida would score some points We New South Carolina still had some offensive issues. I think just all those things sort of reared their head, you know, with the mistakes, they did actually do some good things in terms of turnover margin, but they didn't take advantage of those as many, as many times as they could have. And then some of the things at the end of the game, when, you know, if the game was out of hand, at that point, and South Carolina just sort of lost by two touchdowns and the clock runs out, people are still mad for sure because the team's 0-2, but just the way it ended I think was was a big deal, just like the way the Tennessee ended. The Tennessee game ended was a big deal. Here's the broader point I want to make, and maybe we need to reserve this for like a later discussion after Florida. South Carolina's original schedule, right, what had them playing – actually, both of these teams back-to-back just in reverse order. But the Florida game was going to be on October 3rd, which it ended up being. <laughs> and then Tennessee the next week on October 10th. 
before that, they were going to have Coastal, East Carolina, and Missouri all at home, then at Kentucky before you go to at Florida. So they were going to have four games before uh, those next two against Florida. So obviously we have no idea South Carolina is not going to play Coastal or East Carolina. They're still going to play Missouri, and they're still going to play Kentucky, which is towards the end of the season. We don't know how they'll fare in those games. We don't know in a regular schedule how they would fare. But I did get to thinking about this and that South Carolina is 0-2. The, the, the SEC schedule, obviously, it's condensed to where you don't have, call it like it is, games against you know, Wofford, Coastal Carolina, and East Carolina are a chance to get probably your three best chances on this schedule to get three wins. And so maybe, what if South Carolina on a regular schedule could have won against Coastal and East Carolina? Could have won the Missouri game at home. Let's even say maybe you lose at Kentucky, then you play Florida and you're three and two. Are people happy? No. Um, But they wouldn't be at this 0-2 stage. So what I'm saying is, can South Carolina, if they can notch, they're not going to get the benefit of those first two games, but will they be able to turn around perception a little bit more? Is perception worse because these two games are at the beginning of the season? I don't know. Um, It's something I'd like to hear maybe from the fans and and from you, Wes, but it's just something I was thinking about a little bit today. doesn't mean anybody should be happy. It's not an excuse for being 0-2. It's just a thought of what if South Carolina could have been Three and one or four and zero oh, going into that Florida game, then it's just a loss to Florida um, that was probably expected. I don't think anybody went into this season saying, "Yeah, South Carolina is probably going to be favored against Florida on the road this year." You know, so um, I just thought that was an interesting sort of big picture point. Probably a little bit more than you bargained for in asking me that, but it's been on my mind this morning. Um. And there's the, inev- the inevitable stop making excuses. Yeah, I, I, Bill, um, my, my, I literally just said I'm not making an excuse. Absolutely nobody should be happy about being 0-2, about the defensive performance. Like I said, I have no, South Carolina could – maybe the schedule is normal. They'd be 0-4 going into the Florida game. I have no idea. Um, nobody is talking about the time management being good or the defense being good. Nobody's sitting here saying that. Didn't say either of those things. Um, it was a broad point of if these games were moved, if they were in a normal schedule and there were some wins in front of them, it was a question of would the fan base feel different? I don't really know. I cover it from a different perspective. So just something that was that was on my mind as a general point. Yeah, and I, I think um, here here's my question for the fan base as well. Do – you sort of look at – do y'all look at 2020 as a continuation of 2019? Um, or is this a new, is this a new year? And, and obviously it is a new year, but obviously, um, you know, same head coach, some, some of the same players, some not the same players. So – does the current group get any benefit of the doubt? I think because I think it's a different answer. If you're looking at things, obviously the trend from last year to this year down the stretch, not playing well, and then into this year, not finding ways to win a game, mm-hmm. both games, that, that's a bad trend. Now, if you look at these games 
on their own merit or even this season on its own merit, I would say some of the many things that we knew might be issues that we're going to have to maybe get better as the year went on have played out exactly the way we expected. Now, I didn't think the secondary was going to struggle, even against a really good Florida passing game. I didn't think that they were going to struggle as much as they have, right? Um, now, receiver, we've we've told everybody that would listen, that's probably the biggest concern. There was a reason <laughs> that everybody was saying receiver was a big concern, and it wasn't just, frankly, the lack of playmakers on paper that was coming from people who are seeing what's happening as South Carolina is practicing as they return to walk through this summer and as they're practicing this fall and from the start of spring, to be honest with you. So there's a reason these issues were there. Well, the unfortunate thing for South Carolina at this point, Chris, is that when you look at football, most years there's a reason the NFL has four tune-up games, right? They have four preseason games most years is that you have to take what you have. You have to, to the best of your ability, put the best guys out there from what they've done against their teammates. And then you have to go adjust. South Carolina is not in a place talent-wise. Let's compare it to Georgia. Georgia goes out. The starting quarterback that Georgia picked was probably not the best guy for them to win. But they pick a starting quarterback. They go with it against Arkansas. They make a change, but they're talented enough. They're way more talented than Arkansas. So they are able to make their adjustments, still win the game, and roll into Auburn feeling good and feeling comfortable. So my point being – And, Brian, yes, nobody got any tune-up games. My point being, South Carolina, for whatever reason you want to put it on, they're not in a place right now as a team or a program. We've talked about the margin for error being so small. Well, when the margin for error is bigger, like with Georgia, then you have time to sort of clean up your issues and still win. Everybody wants to win while getting better. Well, Unfortunately for South Carolina, especially against Florida, and then even Tennessee, talent-wise, I mean, who has more talent, South Carolina or Tennessee? I don't know. At least they're in they're in a conversation, right? Fairly similar. Florida, um, and and see here here's what I'm talking about. The next comment shouldn't need a tune-up game. Literally every team that's ever played football, including NFL players, needs need tune-up games. And tackle, I would venture to say tackling, if I'm making a list of issues, I don't know that tackling is in the, my top five right now because there's, there's one play that makes tackling pop in everybody's minds because you don't get a guy on the ground when you have, what, four or five defenders around him. And that's more, frankly, on that play, that's more of an effort play than anything because, call it what it is, all those guys are capable of tackling this kid when they have him surrounded. 
So we look at this as, um, you know, tackling being the biggest issue or being a big issue because that play stands out in our, in our brains. I would go more secondary play, actual coverage, um, attacking the ball when it's in the air, knowing what to do, um, making that decision. Muschamp talked about this a little bit in the teleconference yesterday. Do you attack the football? Do you go for an interception? Or do you go for the offensive player and hope you can dislodge the ball, right? So some of those decisions, I mean, you look, the ball is in the air for Florida on both sides. The ball is in the air. Their receivers are making plays. Carolina's DBs in certain times were not. Then you go to the other side. Not only are Carolina's receivers not necessarily making the big plays on on these 50-50 balls, but you're not even catching some of the easier ones. So um, I I think, and I I don't really know where I'm going with all that, Um, but tackling, tackling to me, I mean, you had 12 missed tackles against Florida, according to Will Muschamp. That against pretty good athletes, that's going to happen. You're going to miss some tackles. To me, secondary play, receiver play, and then some special teams issues. And and I don't – also, Chris, I feel like there's been this common thing of people saying it's the same issues. I don't know necess- – I think it's the same in the sense of South Carolina's making too many mistakes – but that's a very generalized, big-picture thing to say. If you look back late last year, the biggest issue on the team was just that the offense was not creating anything. That was the biggest issue down the stretch last year, and it wasn't that you were dropping passes. It was that receivers weren't even getting open. Um, The offense looked down the stretch like it didn't belong on the same field. So I wouldn't say it's the same issue. I think – the frustrating thing for Carolina fans is that it is it, that basically is that there's just always an issue. You know, it's like yeah. there's this one little thing here or there that either keeps you from winning or keeps you from being a little bit closer in the game to where you have a chance to steal a win, which let's be honest, that would have been a if Carolina scores, gets the onside kick, scores again, I mean that's you're stealing a win there. But I mean, let's play it out. If you just get that guy on the ground on the on what ended up being an easy touchdown for him, you give yourself a chance to keep fighting, right? Maybe you force a field goal and he misses. Maybe you force a field goal and it gets blocked. Maybe they make another, you know, they make another mistake and turn the ball over. So you can't just even though you're down at that point, Carolina's what, Chris, down 17? And that made it 24. You can't just sort of concede that and let him have that touchdown. If you get him on the ground, maybe maybe things play out a little bit different. So I, I don't know. And my initial question goes back to do any do the current guys, this team, 2020, deserve any benefit of the doubt that they're still figuring things out? Or does everybody just sort of consider right now to be a continuation of how things went? late last year. And I don't know if there's an answer. I don't know if you have a thought on that, Chris, or if anybody commenting has a thought other than just, I mean, saying fire the guy or just saying it's one big general thing. 
that's not what we're sort of looking for here. We're trying to discuss the game, discuss the program, discuss why it's happening and how it answered or, you know, how it happened. So um, I, I don't know. And I, and again, I get, I get the frustration. The frustrating part is for Carolina fans that it's been a long time since Carolina has really gone out and beaten, you know, an SEC team. So I get it. They're tired of waking up on Sunday having to think about losing the day before. Yeah, I mean, you look at since the Georgia game last year, what is the team, two and eight, something like that? Um, Can't remember the exact stat. I knew it. Well, I'll pull it up. But, you know, it's – so there's a lot of frustration. Here's how I see it, and and I'm not saying this is – accurate other than the wins and losses column, but sort of taking the pulse of the fan base, I think they're seeing this whole thing, quite honestly, as a continuation of the 2018 end of the season with the Belt Bowl. Because you got to remember, you've got the Belt Bowl, all right, bowl game, which was awful by every measure, and really – took the wind out of the sails of the fan base. I mean, how often did that come up, and does it even still come up sometimes? But you remember, Will Muschamp had to answer a lot of questions about that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there are a lot of really mad people about that game. Then, you fast forward to 2019, they lose to North Carolina in the same place where they just got blown out by Virginia in this shocking loss the way they lost the game, the person they lost the game to, and the program they lost the game to. That was seen as a continuation. It was the next game. It was leading into the next season where there was a lot of excitement. Poof. Wind out of sails. Then the rest of the season happened. You you know, you go to Missouri. That was not good. They somehow beat Georgia. Then you get into the Florida game. They're winning. Okay, are things turning around, right? That game gets blown, and then the rest of the season happens. The offense falls off a cliff. There's injuries everywhere, and it just ends poorly. And so I think going into this season, all you have to look at is the record. I mean, at the end of the day, we can break down, and we will because that's what we like to do, and that's our job. We break down why things are where they are, where they could go, go into specifics. We don't just sit here and say they lost, everything's terrible, or they won, everything's great, whatever. But – now they've gotten into this season and they're 0-2, and, and last year it was 4-8. and eight. Before that, it was the Belt Bowl. So, honestly, Wes, I see – I feel like the fan base is seeing this as one long continuation. And, yeah, some people are generalizing it, which is fine. At the end of the day, it's a bottom-line business, so it's going to get generalized and it is going to be bottom-lined, I guess, for lack of a better term. But it's been a lot of different issues. Like you said, end of 2018 – we saw some similar offensive issues. 2019 offense falls off a cliff, injuries. Uh, this year, the offense really, I mean, I feel like Mike Bobo, with what he's walked into, he didn't recruit any of these players. He's walked into this offense. He's the offensive coordinator. He's controlling the offense. I feel like he's squeezed out pretty good production considering the circumstances. I don't feel like that should even be controversial. Um. But yet, there's been some things in each of the first couple games. Too many mistakes against Tennessee, whether it's defensive breakdowns, and people don't feel like those should be happening. Um, End-of-game stuff, some decisions of 
you know, whether to kick a field goal or go for it. Then the end of game situation against Florida, some big time lapses that were very, very um, visible, like the Tony play that's etched in everybody's mind. So I think people are seeing it as a continuation. And, and while they may be generalizing it in their minds, which is fine, again, um, related to coaching, it, it has been several different issues. But I think people are just ready to go out and beat somebody, number one, do it handily and look good doing it and not see so many of the self-inflicted, you know, type of things, um, whether it's a decision or whether it's just mistakes on offense, defense, special teams, all of the above, you know, that have led to some of these defeats. Um, That's just sort of how I see it. It it seems to me like it's a big, long continuation since the end of 18. And the only thing that can fix it, man, is going out and winning some games. And, you know, it's going to be tough this year. Um. There's some possibilities on the schedule, but they've they've got a lot to clean up, you know, to in order to get there. Yeah, and I, man, I I look at this. Uh, I, I mean, I always think seasons seasons generally have a roller coaster effect. I mean, even last year, very disappointing start, right? Then I think we look South Carolina blows out. Um, Charleston Southern, even though it was Charleston Southern, it's like, okay, everybody at least on the team maybe felt a little bit better all of a sudden. Then, you know, I think – I'm trying to think of the order. Lose to Missouri or, or play Alabama tough, uh, somewhat tough. And, you know, then things are all down. There's all the pressure in the world for a Kentucky game. South Carolina really dominates Kentucky, I thought, at home goes and beats Georgia, and everybody's saying, well, that could be the turning point game, right? And then come back, are in really good a really good place against Florida the very next week, lose that game in the fourth quarter, and then get beat up pretty, pretty bad against Tennessee, and it's right back down to the, the bottom part of this roller coaster. So – I think we have to see what the season brings this year before we start um, making like big rash decisions about things. I understand some fans say they've seen enough. I mean, that's completely their right. I'm not going to sit here and say um, anybody's wrong. Everybody can have an opinion on it. I want to see, because I I think you do have a chance and people will say I'm crazy, but the next two, the next two games, I mean, and Georgia's a really good team, so I get that they can make teams look bad, but they made Auburn look awful um, on Saturday. So, and point being, South Carolina will beat Vanderbilt on Saturday. I believe that 100%. South Carolina will beat Vanderbilt on Saturday. And then you have, I think, another chance for a momentum-changing type win the next week against Auburn where you can possibly have a chance to turn things around. So, and people are sitting here saying this guy's an idiot as I'm saying that, and that's fine. But I think the be- you know, the beauty of football is that we get to actually watch the games and see them play out and see what happens. So, maybe it plays out the way everybody feels right now, which is everybody saying when is South Carolina going to win a game again? Is saying, you know, they're thinking even if they beat Vandy, where are the other wins coming? I tend to think 
there's part of me that still thinks this is a team that is still those few plays away, you know, and can they find a way to, to find some momentum and to start making some of those plays. And there, there's some, doesn't it seem like some teams just have a knack for winning. And it seems almost like this, this team, this program, it needs something good to go its way. Yeah. To sort of um, lose that here we go again type feeling that maybe can permeate sometimes, in, you know, in, in close games. So, so we'll see. My, my point being, and, I, and I'm not predicting anything other than I do, I mean, South Carolina I do think will be Vandy, but I, I want to see the season just play out and see what happens and see if this team can find a rhythm at some point before I just say, let's give up on the season. Because, and frankly, I didn't even know if we were getting football this year. So I'm not going to say the season is over at any point, especially two games in, um, considering what it was like thinking there might not be any football. Well, I agree. I mean, it is awesome to to have football, which is great, although people aren't as happy right now because there haven't been wins. And uh, hopefully the people can, can get some at some point. But so – I think going back to what I said, man, and this will sort of piggyback, hopefully, off what you were talking about. You know, this um, seeing this as that continuation. So here's here's one thing I truly believe, sort of getting like psychological about it, is people see, and rightfully so, nothing wrong with it. They see the results of not the first two years, which were upward trend, but they see this downward trend. End of 2018, like I said, 2019. And then the beginning of this year, which is 0-2, there, there's not any cupcakes or, you know, win the bowl games at the beginning of the year. It's boom, right into SEC play. And so they see that. And 0-2 is not just crap, off to a bad start against uh, what we think is a good team and then we think is a pretty good team in Florida. Um, they see it as, okay, here we go again because of 2018. And then they say, here we go again because of what happened to Champ at Florida, too. So we have that big body of work. And so people may be right in that it ends up the same way. I don't know. I I can't predict that. Um, You know, on the other side of it, you have a situation like at Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt walked in, not that there was a ton of talent. I mean, you know, a complete void of talent. They had some work to do, but there's some talent on that team. Um, He walked in, he went five and seven year one. Last year, they lost to BYU and Georgia State. At the beginning of the year. And Wes, did you log on to VolQuest after those games? Yeah, I actually enjoyed that. Wow. It was absolutely insane. I mean, done, right? Now, then they go on and they they play well and they end up winning some games. And it was – I mean, they looked awful the first two weeks. And You consider the – I mean, they lost to Georgia State and BYU. Neither of those teams were all that great, you know, not teams at Tennessee – South Carolina, anybody should lose to. Point is, that was the first two years. So fans are looking at it, and again, rightfully so, this isn't year two, it's year five. And then they have the past couple years to go off of, but they jumped right into SEC play. I think the point that you're making, that I'm making, and it's not, um, I think Mr. Tim said that we're sunshine pumpers. I mean, I, I haven't heard any sunshine pumping here. We're just sort of, given some scenarios and saying, seeing what we see, it is a fact that South Carolina is going to play the rest of the year. 
if they play like they did the first two weeks, they probably won't win many games if they don't clean up some of these issues. And then there'll be more conversations. What we don't know for sure is whether or not they could play better. You know, maybe they maybe they clean up some things. Maybe they play better. Maybe they get back to first two years where they're winning some games, even with some smoke and mirrors, and they end up winning a few. Um, we just don't know that yet. The first two weeks were not good. But again, they jumped right into conference play. It's not sunshine pumping to say that they had two pretty good opponents the first two weeks. I'm not saying they shouldn't have won one of those games or could have been in position to win both of them. I'm not saying that should be acceptable to anybody, but I think it's our job to sit here and break it down. If it, This would be a waste of everybody's time if we just got on the show and said everything sucks, burn it all down. I mean, what would, you know, what would be the point of that, man? There's no, there's no even discussion about everything. Yeah, and, yeah, that's, and that's, that's, that's not, not happening. happening. So, right, it's not happening after week two. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, all right. If uh, let, Let's go into – and I do – we're not going to avoid the final drive. I do want to talk about that at some point. But there's been a lot of discussion in the comments about the defensive backs and potential moves there. And I, I will say it, it It was probably – especially – with most fans not being able to travel to the games, it was probably easy to miss. But Carolina actually did start Izzy at safety uh, with John Dixon as the starter at cornerback um, this past game. So that, that's already, at least in their in their nickel package, it was John Dixon, J.C. Horn at corner, Jamie Robinson at nickelback, and then Izzy and uh, R.J. Roderick at, um, at safety. And then they actually they played a ton of dime in this game, especially as the game went on. Really, the only time they were in like their regular package was in some goal line and some short yardage situations. But even dude, there was a third and two or three, and they're out there in dime, which tells you just how a how athletic I, I think Florida is and how much they sort of respected. I, I think felt or felt like they had to match try to match their athleticism out there. And um, so Jalen Dickerson was the next guy in at safety when they were in dime. So they've already, I think, made a move towards what y'all are asking for, which is playing more Johnny Dixon. And I mean, if you want to talk about a couple, like a couple of bright spots from the game, I think Johnny Dixon was just that Um, got called for an absolute awful defensive pass interference. You know, he's got the right to that ball just as much as the receiver does. But I thought, you know, Johnny played a little bit to start last year. He actually started the season opener against North Carolina. Johnny has worked hard, I think, to sort of develop more and more as a player. And I, I thought, to me, looked like somebody who can help this team. I sort of like it in that configuration, uh, you know, with Izzy at safety and, um, you know, Jamie at nickel. I, I think you have to look at Jalen Dickerson a little bit more um, as the year goes on. and trying to put those guys and it's easy it's easier said than done because teams are going to get you in bad matchups from time to time but try and do everything you can to keep those guys out of out of bad matchups um particularly you know RJ with some of their slot guys um in man coverage uh, you know just uh, you know there there are some moments there I, I think you have to continue to sort of move the pieces around if you will in the secondary because that that's a unit that 
I think we all thought was going to be one of the strengths. Now they probably got Chris, maybe their biggest test of the year this past Saturday. I mean, and, and here's the thing, man, football, football is all about matchups. Like against Vanderbilt, it's going to look like a lot of the defensive issues have been fixed more than likely. And some of that is just going to be matchups. Whereas a team like Florida can make you look like you suck on defense when part of it is just who you're matching up against. So some of this stuff that, that, and that's why I say it, it sort of takes a body of work because, you know, when you play Florida, you're going to be, if you have weaknesses, they will be exposed defensively, especially in the secondary against a team like this. And it's, when that margin for error comes back, you you just take a wrong angle to a guy. He makes you pay. Maybe the Vanderbilt receiver doesn't make you pay, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so that's the thing. I mean, you're going to have to be on sort of lookout. You know, obviously South Carolina really needs to rebound. They need to go pick up a win at Vanderbilt and play well doing it, stay healthy, try to build some confidence. But then they're going to turn around and play Auburn, which I know they scuffled little bit against Kentucky at times, even though they won, and they definitely scuffled against Georgia, who's really, really good, especially defensively um, and, and super fast defensively. If, if you guys got to watch them, they're flying around everywhere. But Auburn's got a quarterback who's capable. They got a system that can be tough to defend. They got Anthony Schwartz, who runs a 10.07 in the 100 meters. Um, they got Seth Williams, who can mosh you in a hurry. You know, they've got Tank Bigsby. I mean, they got some guys that can hurt you, right? And so you're going to be right back to, okay, you know, here's a challenge, you know, after the Vanderbilt game. And so we don't want to get too far ahead, but you're going to get right back into it. You're going to play Auburn. You're going to play LSU. They've scuffled some too, but they're going to have big-time athletes, you know, um, out there on the field that you're going to have to defend. So Going back to the secondary, man, I'm with you. I, th- I think Dixon's progressed well. Cam Smith played a little. Dixon played more at corner this game. Had the pass breakup that he could have picked. The P.I. was awful. Uh, basically, you're you're calling a guy for jumping for a football. If you can't do that, then you can't really defend anybody. Um, And, you know, I, I just – I really like what I've seen from Jalen Dickerson, e- even dating back to game one. Um, I feel like Horn – and Dixon at corners, Izzy at safety, which, again, preseason was talked about a lot. It was a legit consideration of are they going to play Izzy at safety or at corner. I like him more at safety. Jamie Robinson at nickel and Dickerson back there at safety, too. I really, really like that configuration for South Carolina. Mick Shallow Sanders in. R.J. Roderick obviously had a, a really inconsistent performance at Florida. He could still do some things for you, but – they're going to maybe have to narrow down and, and find their best five, and they're going to have to do it quickly, clean up some of those issues. Um, to go back to – there was a question, actually, Wes, if you didn't mind, hitting on uh, – Mr. Tim actually asked what – you know, he says some things about Muschamp in Florida. What makes you think he can get it done at Carolina? I, I don't know – pretend to know how the tenure is going to play out. What I was talking about earlier was the fact that – we're breaking down the game and what happened and the schedule so far and the schedule that remains. And I was just making the point that we weren't pumping sunshine by saying we're not going to get on the show and say that Will Muschamp's going to be fired after two games. That's all I was saying. If South Carolina can go win some games this year 
which I don't know if that'll happen, stabilize it, fix the offense, which everyone's got to believe that, look, they need some receivers, no doubt. But Mike Bobo has done a good job through the first two games overall. That's not been South Carolina's biggest issue, has not been the offense. Um, there have been some spurts really good, some spurts where they were a little inconsistent. Uh, but overall, with what they've had to work with, I think he's been a bright spot, you know, in terms of coaching on this Ross, on this uh, football team. If they can do that, if they can get back to recruiting at a higher level, you never know. They might can stabilize it, but they've got to get to a point where they can actually win some games. At some point, that has to come, Wes. Yeah, and I, and I again, man, I, as I've said a hundred times, I get it. I get all the frustration with the fan base. I get every, I get everything they're saying. I really do. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think the. The path, I mean, the path to, and, I, and again, I'm not even saying this will happen. The path to everybody getting what they want is is that you stabilize, win some games this year by correcting errors, and then these young players. Because I, the more people I've talked to, not that some older guys on this team that obviously are making big impacts, but there's a lot of talent in this freshman class that is already on campus bringing them along, you know, solidifying the receiver position for the future, um, letting these young defensive linemen come on. And really, I think you build the defense around them moving forward. If you We're talking big picture. And then getting that Gunner Stockton-led class in here and building a, a difference-making class, you know, around him, I think is the path. Now, whether fans believe it can happen or not, Again, completely, you know, up to y'all. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that it will or it won't. I just think if you if you want if you're up out there like looking for a reason for hope that that would be it. Is that you know you you have a guy and you have some freshmen, you have a guy coming in later on in Gunnar Stockton, and you have some freshmen in this current class that you can sort of build around moving forward, and uh, then you have a guy waiting in the wings, um, Marshawn Lloyd, who you know, it was easily one of the best players in the country coming in and would have been making a big impact on this team. You get to add Jalen Brooks to the receiving core next year at the very least. And, uh, you know, you get, you get all your quarterbacks back potentially. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where if you want to look for rays of sunshine, there are ways to convince yourself of that. But right now I think everybody's just in Owen two mode. Nobody wants to hear it. And, and that, and that's fine, man. That's, that's completely fine. Um, but that's sort of my, not just clouded by negativity, uh, approach. So, uh, Chris, tell everybody about how we are brought to you by Affordable Medical USA, home of the game day chair. And then we're going to talk about a recruit to watch moving forward. And I want to talk about Kevin Harris because we can't go through this show without talking about him because I think maybe the brightest spot for South Carolina on Saturday was uh, Mr. Kevin Harris. So, Chris, tell everybody about the game day chair. Yeah, the game day chair. So, when you're watching this show or when you're watching what everybody here in the comments here and watching the show hopes is South Carolina getting back to their winning path on Saturday against Vanderbilt, do yourself a favor. Sit in the game day chair from AffordableMedicalUSA.com. You can call them. 
go to affordablemedicalusa.com, uh, type in Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight, Power Pillow, Lumbar Support. If you're on YouTube, you see it up there in the left hand corner. Super awesome, relaxing chair with a variety of positions, Twilight positions, a zero gravity position. It can be your posting chair with your laptop on GamecockCentral.com on the Insiders Forum. Um, celebrating a win, maybe in the near future, commiserating about a loss, watching the show, talking with Wes and I. It can do anything, so make sure you check it out. We appreciate those uh, your guys' support and AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Yeah, come get the game day chair and then sit here and call us idiots. I'm I'm completely okay with that as long We're as you uh, buy one. Um, <laughs> Jesse asked me if it has an, inject, an ejector button. Um, I don't think that's part of the standard one, but may, maybe you could special order one like that. We had another guy who was looking at trying to figure out how to get a mini fridge and planted underneath it. So may, maybe, I mean – if you throw enough money at them, they'll probably customize the thing for you. But yeah, so so Kevin Harris, I gotta say, man, I you know if if we're right or wrong about a guy, I like to think we'll we'll admit you know if we're right or wrong. Um, I thought Kevin Harris was going to be a solid running back and probably a guy who could wear a team down and maybe can get you short yardage. Um, Maybe if you're in a tight game and, and the teams had to like get pounded on all you know all game long, maybe Kevin's a guy who can excel in the second half. But I don't think I gave him enough credit for just the balance, the the vision. Some of the runs he made were where he um, sort of cut in an area I wasn't expecting, and we knew we knew he had the physicality right. But just the balance, the vision, the hands, even some explosiveness in there where he where he sees a hole and he, you know, he cuts upfield against it. And even turning the corner, man, I think uh, Kevin Harris is a is a better running back one hundred percent than I thought he was. And I, I think he's probably the biggest bright spot. I thought he took the physicality to Florida. I didn't. I don't think they had interest in tackling him, man. Even some plays out there on the edge where they managed to get him out of bounds, and they were sort of tackling him as he was going out of bounds. You notice he never actually hit the ground. Like he, he just like sort of rolled off guys and is still standing up. Um, last week against Tennessee, that play where he sort of contorted his body and his knee barely went down, but the the strength. You know the play I'm talking about where he like spun and was on one foot and yes. basically did a um it's like doing a pistol squat in the gym where you're on one knee and you go down and then push yourself up with just your not on one knee but on one foot and you push yourself up. He does this in pads while getting hit. I mean I think you gotta give your hats off to Kevin Harris if you're gonna call out a bright spot in this game and you know he deserves it. I think so. I've seen several people say shades of Mike Davis. If you want to talk about some Carolina runners to sort of um, compare him to, I sort of get that. He's got the little spin move, right? Um, I thought, and and not necessarily that we're saying Kevin is quite here yet, but I thought sort of the way he glides a little bit, for me there were actually some shades of old Demetrius Summers back in the day at Carolina when it looked like, 
to me, it never looked like Summers was running fast, but he just would glide around the edge. Harris does not, still doesn't look very fast, but he's been able to turn the corner, uh, you know, on two SEC defenses. So maybe he's a little bit faster on the field than he just appears, you know, with the eye test. So I think hats off to Kevin Harris. Ran hard. Um, didn't even look like he was breaking a sweat at times. <laughs> um, got to be got to be happy with him if you're a Carolina fan. Yeah, I mean his his emergence. You know, Marshawn Lloyd's absence created such a huge question, and um, the the run game appeared appears to have grown. You know, if we talk about areas of regression, perfectly great to talk about that stuff because it's important to analyzing what's gone wrong the past two weeks. But areas of progression, you feel like second half of Tennessee. And then entire Florida game, for the most part, Harris and Deshaun Fenwick played really well, especially Kevin Harris. And you're right, he, he has football speed. He's not going to go break off a bunch of 80-yard runs against SEC defenses, but he's going to move the chains. And he, he created some explosive plays. Um, he has good hands. Mike Bobo really likes to get the backs involved in the passing game. They do a really good job just flaring the back out you know, Mike Bobo seems to have a really good feel for that, and Colin Hill does a good job of, of getting it out there where they can create some space plays, just get the running back out in the flat. He ran hard. This is a guy, man, remember, Wes, we were there the day at camp where they offered Kevin Harris, liked him on film, wanted to see him run. He came in, ran, I think, a four five five or so, which was good enough, and his speed is certainly good enough on the field. Nobody wanted the guy. He had, like, service academy offers. Mm-hmm. That's about it, so – um. Looks like a good hit so far, and, and his emergence is, is going to be, I think, significant if he can continue on that same path for the rest of the season. Yeah, and uh, like Russ said there to Sean Fenwick, he's played better, I think, than I – I don't want to say expected, but then I, I wasn't predicting, you know, that he'd play as well as he has. So happy for those guys, man. Um, I want to see – I still want to see Zaquandre White get involved in there as well and, and find some space. Yeah, the O-line was creating some room, I thought, in the running game against Florida. So that, you know, that, that was a positive, I, I think for Carolina as well. All right. So final drive, I, I think we, and it's been guys been talked about so much, but we haven't talked about it here on the show. I think we have to, if we're going to talk about this game in um, completion, we sort of have to talk about the final drive and how it played out. You know what, man? So I, I went back, I, re- I mean, I've seen this stuff online as well, but I wrote down for myself. I rewatched that drive and I wrote down every play, what happened on the play, how much time was on the clock when the play started, then how much time was on the clock when the next play started, and how much time was on the play clock. So I think my my sort of attitude about that drive changes at about the four-minute mark or so left in the game. Um I think and David, yes, Luke Doty played one snap. Doty said David said he was drinking uh nine percent uh, alcohol pumpkin. Pumpkin is a is a pretty good beer, so I'm with you, David. But Doty got one snap. He actually cleared he actually cleared out um a couple of defenders in Carolina's own version of a little pick play and got Rico um powers open on the play, but that, that was the only play he was on the field. So I think when this drive starts, right, there's 8-11 left. And Muschamp's initial response to this was that 
they were taking what the defense gave them, right? And I, I think as this drive started, I think the plan was don't panic. There's still time. Let's go execute. And frankly, when Carolina had been doing the best offensively had been when they had sort of been playing methodical, taking what Florida gave them. They had not had many opportunities for explosive plays in this game at all. So they they stuck to that, right? And so, like, first play is a hitch to Rico Powers. Positive play creates a second and makeable, et cetera. Well, you're sort of going down the field like they had for most of the game, getting tiny chunks, keeping, you know, moving the chains, and then you're going positively on offense. But at this point, you start getting four minutes or left, then three minutes or left, you know, and at this point, you absolutely, I think, have to sort of change your your approach here, right, and go go hurry up. We know they have the capability to go hurry up, and I think part of the problem was that they had, let's see, they had a completion short of the sticks where the ball is still moving or the clock is still moving. Then you had a scramble play by Colin Hill where he goes out of bounds, but if it's not in under two minutes, the clock starts back um, after your after you know they reset the uh, the ball, and then you had I think the one of the plays that absolutely killed them was when they had that RPO draw, and it's it's designed as an RPO. They ran this play several times where the guys are going out on pass plays, and you have the option to hand the ball off to the running back on a draw play. Well, he Colin Hill read that play just like he would any other time in the game, which I I don't know what the rules are on that. Does time and you know time down and distance affect how you're supposed to read that play? I don't know, but he read it at just based on the defense as a handoff. Well, he hands it off to Deshaun Fenwick, and he gets stopped short of the first down. So then it's well. You have, you have to get the first down. So regardless of the clock, you have to get a first down. Run the football, get the first down, clock stops. Well, they run the ball again and don't get it. So the clock keeps running again. And then we're on at fourth down, right? So then it's, well, you absolutely have to get the first down on this. So you can't really run to the line at this point. So by that point... You've gone from 3.53 on the clock when Hill scrambled to 1.37 on the clock um, after the first down run. So that's when you lost two minutes and about 20 seconds because of, of that issue right there. So... I think now there were times there where it's really almost as simple as just get to the line of scrimmage faster. Um, You know, I I get once you get in a fourth down, you've got to make sure you make the first down. But once you start getting into that three-minute range, I think that's when you start maybe trying to force a shot or two into the end zone. Then you're either it's a touchdown or clock stops, you know. Not many opportunities on that drive for explosive plays, although there there was one where Hill 
one of the plays where Hill took off running, if he just lobs the ball to Deshaun Fenwick, it's an easy touchdown. I don't know if you remember the play I'm talking about. He actually faked to Fenwick to try to get the defender off of him. If he just lobs it to Fenwick, it's a touchdown. Colin Hill, not the problem in this game, obviously. But I um, I think we had to talk about the drive and try to give some context to it. But at the end of the day, it is what it is, right? I mean, that that was too much time taken. I think I think even anybody in that football building right now, coaching staff included, would tell you that you, you just got to get to the line quicker and be faster. And it's worth trying to look at why it happened the way it did, and you sort of can see if they if they get down to the twenty or twenty five, and they hit a big play and score, and there's three minutes left, then nobody's really even talking about it. But that little sequence there where they kept getting stopped short and the clock just keeps running um, really is what took it from being a, maybe a, a bad look to like this big discussion where we've all had, I think. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have break, broken it down any better than that. And I think it's, you know, that's why we take time to go through, watch it, figure out what actually happened. You know, Nobody, I don't think there's any design of, you know, there's eight minutes left on the clock. Let's go down and milk off seven minutes off the clock and try to score one touchdown. No, but it did sort of become midway through that or so, just like you broke down, West with the exact times, the exact plays there. It became a situation where eventually it got to the point where things started going awry from a time standpoint, from a play standpoint. And you're right, it would have been, even if South Carolina scored there, would have been extremely difficult to where they sort of had to shift their thinking. And so obviously it's easy to say um, should have gone faster, should have huddled, probably so, you know, um, and an explosive play or two there could have made the difference, but they did get into some situations where you have to get a first down and then they're not going fast enough. So tough deal, but, but good breakdown there. And uh, yeah, I don't really have a, a whole lot more to add as far as the end of the game scenario there. I think they're, Obviously, it was part of the story of the game because with eight minutes left down, two touchdowns, you're moving the ball. You do still have a chance to win, right? I mean, and then the clock issues begin, and then you don't really have as much of a chance to win. I think some of the other things earlier in the game were probably even bigger in terms of how South Carolina dug that hole, you know, offensively and defensively. Yep. All right, so – Got a little bit of tape here for you guys. Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting here. Uh, Chris, this is uh, Rodarius Thomas. Have, have you watched this film before? Yeah, I was actually just watching him today. Um, a kid to watch. South Carolina just offered him last week and uh, has sort of quickly gone to the top of his list. And uh, Rodarius actually told us on Rivals that he's going to – Potentially be deciding soon, maybe even this week. Gamecocks in great shape here, but um, what, what are your what are your thoughts here, man? He's he's listed at six one, I think, on some of the stuff online. But actually, uh, talked to Chad Simmons, who was over there today or yesterday, and he said that the kid's probably closer to legit six two, closing in on six three. Very well put together. I would say not a not a burner, but kind of a jump ball receiver. Um, guy who can make some things happen is on a pretty talented receiving core with his team. But what were your thoughts on this uh, Rodarius Thomas film? 
So obviously South Carolina's got to recruit some guys, you know, at the receiver position, which we've seen, which we told people going into this season. And we've seen that play out less, uh, maybe even more than we thought. Right. And so um, that they have a few athletes already in this class that are projected to play receiver, but they're continuing to search. And so Thomas is, I think a really interesting guy, like you said, that, that was the first thing that jumped out to me, not only watching him on film, but just seeing him. Uh, he, he is put together well. He's got height. He's He's got a build to where he's a big, stronger, physical sort of presence at receiver. And so when you think about competing in the air for ball, high-pointing footballs, being able to win in traffic, that's been an issue for South Carolina too. And so this is not a guy like a Debo Samuel who's going to go – you know, in space in the at the SEC level and make a bunch of guys miss, but he's someone who can, you know, physically, when he gets the ball in space, he can run over some guys, he can win the ball in the air, and uh, is, is a physical presence at wideout. So I think he's a pretty intriguing prospect and someone that it seems like South Carolina wants to try to add. Yeah, so keep an eye on Rodarius Thomas. Um, potential, potentially could be making a decision here in the next week or so, and – is a guy that I, I think South Carolina is in, in really good shape with here. You see the film there. You can, I've got a story up with him on Gamecock Central if you're a subscriber, and you can see more of the film there as well. All right, I think that's going to about close out the show here, Chris. Um, hopefully not everybody listening thinks we're idiots. But, uh, again, I, I, I get all the frustration with everybody, but I also um, would like to go be able to go through games and actually talk about what happened, why it happened, and what it means moving forward, as opposed to just, um, you know, yelling at the screen to to fire people because that's uh, what makes people feel better right now. But um, so later this week, we'll have uh, – is it Chris Lee? Yep. VandySports.com. That's right. Um, he will uh, be on on Thursday to help us break. We're going to try to do that every week. We'll have somebody – that covers the opponent to talk about them. And I'm working at, I don't want to say it yet. Cause I, I got to check on schedules. I've got a couple of former Gamecocks um, that at some point will be joining the show this week. So we'll, we'll save those details until I get them. But uh, Chris, you got anything else, man? I'm good, man. I'm looking forward to the shows the rest of the week. Thanks everybody for participating and watching the show as always and appreciate affordable medical equipment and the game day chair. Yep, so appreciate y'all's support. If you're um, listening on the uh, podcast, please uh, leave us a review. If you're on YouTube, please uh, hit the like button, subscribe on YouTube. It's for, hey, by the way, man, we hit um, 4,000 subscribers on YouTube awesome. yesterday. So uh, appreciate everybody that is part of that. It is free to subscribe. That will help you to know when we're having shows. So just hit that subscribe button, then hit the little notification. But we actually went from 3,000 subscribers on there, actually just under 3,000 when we started doing these shows, to now 4,000 subscribers on YouTube, which um, I'm really happy with that growth. But the reason we have that growth is because of y'all watching and commenting and, and telling your friends as well and sharing it on Twitter and you know all that good stuff. So we appreciate it. We're all in this together. As, uh, my, as our friend Patrick Davis would say. So we will see y'all on Tuesday, and uh, y'all have a good one.